All right, hello. Good morning, Hallows Church. It's good to see you here in Wallingford. My name is Jeff. I serve as one of the elders at our church. I serve mostly up at the Edmonds Expression. That's why some of you may not recognize me here, but I do recognize some familiar faces. It's good to, good to see you all. We're going to continue our journey today uh, through the book of Luke. We're landing in chapter 5, the first 11 verses, and it's really a wonderful passage today. It's, uh, we're going to find in this passage really a very beautiful picture of what it means to, <clears throat> to become a Christian and really to be a Christian as well. We're going to see in this passage what it looks like, not just to believe in God, not just to, to know about him, but to, to come to know God and to experience God, to experience Jesus in personal and life-changing ways. That's what's going to happen with a man named Simon today, who is the same man who you and I know as, as Peter, the Apostle Peter. He's called Simon in this passage, and he's called Peter after this passage because he gets changed by what's, what happens in this passage. But for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to refer to Simon as Peter since that's who we know him as and since that's who he's going to become today. And what's so interesting is how we're going to see in this passage Jesus very much uh, pursuing Peter in this passage. He's, in, he's going to be inviting Peter, as we'll see, to join him out in in deeper waters, and it is in those deeper waters that we'll find Jesus revealing to Peter who he truly is and changing Peter as a result. You see, Peter, he, uh, he crosses a line here today in his journey with Jesus, just as you, you crossed a line at some point too, if you're a Christian. The Bible is quite clear on this, the difference between being a, a Christian and a non-Christian, it's not a matter of degree. It's not possible to be kind of a Christian or sort of a Christian or, or part Christian and part something else. You're either a Christian or you're not. That's what the Bible teaches. There's really no in-between. Now, to be sure, this line, it's crossed in different ways with different people at different times. It happens seemingly slowly with some, but it happens quite radically with others, right? But, but in every case, Jesus is the gracious uh, initiator. He initiates something inside of a person, and he, he comes after you in a sense, right? And there's, there comes a defining point, really, where he applies some pressure and where he really compels you to make a decision about him. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen here today with Peter. Now, this is a very timely topic for me personally speaking, because on March 6, 2022, just Two weeks from now, it'll mark the 10-year anniversary of the day that I crossed that line. And friends, I have not been the same person since. None of you really knew me back then, but if you did and if you saw me or if you knew me then and you knew me before I crossed that line and you know me now after I crossed that line, you'd be saying, what just happened there? Where did, where did Jeff go? In fact, I've had some close friends ask me that very question. Now, I have to admit, leading up to this point, I did know some things about Jesus. I had been to church some, not a lot, but from time to time. And Jesus, I would say, he was, he was interesting to me. He was even intriguing to me. But I certainly was not following him. You see, I had plans for my life, and I was getting after those plans. And the last thing I wanted was a bunch of rules and religion telling me how to live. I knew how I wanted to live, and so I was living that way, and I was happy to keep my distance and kind of keep Jesus at arm's length for the first four decades of my life. And for most of my life, when I'd hear people talking about 
knowing God and experiencing God and having these sort of personal interactions and fellowship with him, I was very skeptical. I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, I wasn't really getting it. I'm not sure I was actually buying it. And without a doubt, if you had said to me at any point in my life prior to March of 2012 that I'd be up here like this, speaking to you in this way, being one of your pastors even, I would have had a, a good laugh. I would have said, you are very confused, and I am too. But here I am, and here we are, right? And so how is that? How does that, how does that happen? Well, uh, Jesus happened, and Jesus continues to happen. There was a lot that went down that day with me in 2012. It was a profound moment in my life, but a simple and accurate way of, of putting it is that Jesus revealed to me on that day who he really is. I encountered Jesus that day in a way that I did not know was possible, and it, it shook me. It, it changed me. Immediately after this happened, I was a different person on the inside. I I didn't care about the things I used to care about. All I wanted to do was leave behind who I was and, and what I was and to, to be with Jesus and to learn about Jesus and to tell others about Jesus. And I didn't really know what to make of it. My family certainly didn't know what to make of it either. I remember telling my wife, Carol, very early on that I didn't feel like my life was my own anymore, but in, in a good way, in the best possible way. But as I studied the Bible about these things and the experiences of others across history, the more I realized I was not alone at all. At first, I felt kind of alone. I felt like I was kind of losing my mind. But as I studied these things and dove into the Bible, I realized that I was not. What I realized is as I, as I dove deeper with Jesus is that Jesus has been doing the same sort of thing all along, hasn't he? For 2,000 years now, Jesus has been intervening and intercepting and overtaking people in their lives, often when they least expect it, not because of them, but in spite of them. And there's a sense in which it all begins right here in this passage today with a fisherman named Simon who Jesus would recruit as his very first follower who would become a changed man, a new man, a new man with a new name, and that name is Peter. So let's look at what happens with Peter. It's quite fascinating in this passage. And also let's reflect upon how this has happened with us too and how it continues to happen with us. And the reason I say that is because in this passage today, we're not only going to see a picture of, of what it looks like to become a Christian, we're also going to see a pattern, a pattern of what it looks like to be and to, to grow as a Christian as we journey through this life with Jesus. So let's read this passage, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to, 11, 1 to 11, and then let's talk about it some. Luke chapter 5, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats 
so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. And so three things I'd like to explore with you today from this passage. We're going to see Peter here uh, coming to know the real Jesus for who he is. We're going to see Peter responding to that Jesus in a rather unexpected way. And we're going to see Peter being changed as a result, knowing Jesus, being known by Jesus, and being changed by Jesus, first knowing him. Now, leading up to this point, we know that Peter had been spending uh, some time with Jesus. We're not exactly clear how much time, but we do know that Peter, he was with Jesus in Capernaum in the synagogue when Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 4. Peter had seen the people there marveling at what Jesus was speaking and the ways that he was speaking them with an unusual sort of authority. Peter had also seen Jesus liberate a man in the same synagogue that day who was being spiritually dominated and oppressed by demonic spirits. We're told as well in the same passage that after these things happened in the synagogue, Jesus, he had went to Peter's home and he healed Peter's mother-in-law from a very high fever that she had. And we're told too, at the end of that same Sabbath day, as the sun was setting, it says in Luke chapter four, verse 40, it says, many people in the region were bringing everybody who was sick with every imaginable disease and Jesus was healing them all and he was casting demons out of many. So all this occurred on a single day. and Peter was there. He was taking it in. He was thinking it through. He was adding it up, trying to make sense of this Jesus. And so what in the world would Peter have been thinking, do you think, at this point? What would, what would you be thinking? Jesus is about to give Peter a lot more to think about here. As we open the passage here, Jesus is teaching on the shores of Lake Gennesaret, and this was a great place to teach because the shoreline here of this lake it had these very steep inlets and deep inlets that created a sort of natural amphitheater effect. And one thing Luke makes clear is that Jesus has been drawing crowds from the very beginning of his uh, public ministry because word was spreading, people were talking, Jesus was trending. And we're told in verse 1 that a crowd was forming on this day too. And this crowd, we're told, was pressing in on Jesus, pressing and pushing him closer to the water. And because the crowd was pressing in on him, verse 2 says that Jesus got into the, one of the boats that was on the shore there. And they, they pushed the boat off a bit from shore so he could keep on teaching the crowd before the crowd pressed in and pressed him uh, all the way into the lake. And Jesus was indeed there to teach that day. But I think Jesus had another plan in mind that day too. You see, Jesus had another plan, and Peter, I think, was the target of that plan, and that plan was to take Peter to another level, to a new level, to a deeper level with him. And that's why it says in verse 3, I think, that Peter didn't just get, or Jesus didn't just get into any boat. It says he got into Peter's boat, and he continued teaching from Peter's boat for a little while longer. But when Jesus finished teaching the crowd from uh, Peter's boat, we're told that there comes a point in verse 4 where where Jesus turns to Peter and he says to Peter, hey, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. 
Let's take this boat of yours out into the deeper waters and let's catch some fish. Jesus wanted to go fishing with Peter, but, but here's the thing. It was, it was the middle of the day there. And, and one thing we know about fishing in that time and that place that, is that nobody went fishing in the middle of the day. They, they fished at night. They rested during the day. They cleaned and repaired their gear during the day. But the fishing, the good fishing went on at night. Everybody knew that. So that's why in verse 2 it says that the crew from these boats, they were cleaning and they were cleaning their nets as Jesus was teaching. You see, they had already gone fishing the night before. Now they were closing up shop. And the last thing they wanted to do was to start over again at a time of day when anyone who knew anything about fishing would not start over again. Now you should know this type of fishing, it was very hard and, and tedious and, and laborious work. This type of fishing was difficult. And these boats, they were not small, they were pretty good size. Some of them would hold a dozen people or more. The nets were even bigger, up to a half a mile <clears throat> in length. And you needed two boats and you needed a crew to pull off this sort of fishing. It was a pretty, it was a pretty big enterprise. And Simon and his crew, uh, his men, they would have at this point been spent, I think. They would not be looking forward to going back out fishing. They were ready for a warm meal and a warm bed. And you kind of hear this coming through in Peter's response to Jesus. It's kind of funny, actually. Jesus says, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter's initial response in verse 5 is, Jesus, come on. Come on, really? Let me, let me remind you, you're, you're a carpenter. I'm the fisherman. We've been out there all night, and there are no fish out there. Trust me, Jesus. And so Peter's first instinct here is to let Jesus know that he probably knows best on this one. You may be a great teacher, Jesus, but this is my area, this is my lake, this is my thing. And Peter could not resist a gentle rebuke in verse 5 of Jesus. But pay careful attention here because Jesus is doing something to Peter here that I hope you've sensed him doing with you at times too. Jesus is applying some pressure here. He's working on Peter. Jesus wants to convince Peter here that if Peter's going to truly come to know him and come to be changed by him, Peter's going to need to yield to him, even in the areas of life where Peter believed that he knew, he knew best. And so do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever experienced this sort of thing? Sometimes the areas of our lives where we need to listen to Jesus and obey Jesus most of all are those areas where from our perspective, we don't think we really need his help all that much, right? Those areas of our lives where where we think we got this, right? We're good. Thank you. Thank you anyways, Jesus. We do need Jesus uh, where we feel weak, in the areas where we feel weak. That's to be sure. And we are, we are often quick to go to him when we need him to be our strength. But friends, at times we need Jesus maybe even more so in the areas of our lives where we feel strong, where we feel sure, where we feel confident, we need him just as much, if not more so, in the areas of our lives where we think we got this. Why? So he can begin to show us that ultimately we don't got this. He's, he's got this, which is exactly what he's going to show Peter today. And so this was a test of sorts as Jesus begins to go deeper with Peter and to take Peter to another level. And it looks at first like Peter's going to, uh, to fail the test. But to Peter's credit, he does turn a very important corner here. He's taking this in, he's thinking this through, and in the second half of verse 5, he says four very important words. 
right after Peter says, Jesus, this is a waste of time. There are no fish out there. I think I know what I'm doing. He says, but, but if you say so, if you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. And of course, what happens next, these four simple words of obedience, they unleash the power of Jesus in the heart and the life of Peter in a way that would change his life forever. Because what happens next in verse six, we're told they began catching so many fish that their nets began to pop and snap and tear. They caught so many fish that these two boats had reached their capacity and they began, they began to sink. If you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. Those of you who have kids know that they often reach an age where they begin to ask uh, why all the time. They need to have a reason, right, for doing things. It's not really enough that you told them to do something. But here's Peter. He has absolutely no reason at all to do this, but he does it anyway. Why? Because Jesus says so. And this passage today, and, and the Bible too as a whole, tells us that when Jesus says so, when he tells us we should do something, that needs to be enough reason to do it. Peter was surely thinking, Jesus, I, I think I know what I'm doing. I have no reason to do this. It doesn't seem practical. This isn't going to work. My fishing buddies are over there on the shore. They're going to be laughing at us. Peter has no reason to do this, but Peter doesn't ask for a reason either, does it? He, he pauses. He checks himself. He says, if you say so, Jesus. And so, friends, where do you perhaps need to be saying those words to Jesus in, you, in your life? If you say so, Jesus, I won't question you. I don't need a reason. It doesn't make sense, but I'll do it anyways. Why? Because you're Jesus and I'm, I'm not, and I trust you. Now, this is not easy to be sure because Jesus does ask a lot of hard things of us, right? He asks us to do many hard things, things that don't always make sense, things that don't always seem practical, things that seem very unlikely to bring about our own agenda or our own personal enjoyment. After all, Jesus tells us, doesn't he, that we need to forgive those who wrong us, not once, not twice, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times, which of course means that we are to never stop forgiving those who wrong us. Jesus tells us you need to count those around you. Everyone around you is more important than you are. It's more important than yourself. How is that going? Jesus tells us that you need to turn away from lust and sexual sin. He says you need to kill it before it, before it kills you. Jesus tells us you need to love and to pray for those who disagree with you, for those who are not like you, for those who don't like you, and even for those who may hate you and despise you. And so how is that going? Jesus asked many hard things of us, but if you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. And so where in your life do you need to say these words, even when it seems too hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it may not seem productive or practical? We're going to see here Peter's simple act of obedience allowed him to go deeper with Jesus in, in new ways and allowed Jesus really to show Peter that day that Jesus knows things that no human being could possibly know. And Jesus does things that Jesus, that no human being rather could possibly do. After all, Jesus knew exactly where the fish were at that day, didn't he? 
And that's the great challenge of fishing, really. Because if you can't find the fish, you can't catch the fish. But Jesus, the carpenter, led Peter, the fisherman, right to where the fish were that day. Some of you may know that I have a boat now. It's a relatively new boat, and I do love to go fishing. I'm pretty new at it, but I enjoy it very much. And if you know Tom Hartman up at the Edmunds Expression, it's really all his fault. He got me into this. Tom, he invited me to go fishing early on in the COVID lockdown, and I kind of got sucked in a little bit, as I at times can tend to do. And before I knew it, we were going fishing quite often, and Tom was kind enough to show me the way. And if you know Tom, you know Tom has many, many fish stories to tell, let's say. And so I had high expectations that soon I'd be telling many of the same sorts of stories that Tom told. And Tom has all the best gear on his boat, sonar to see the fish, all the right lures and baits to catch the fish. And I thought, how lucky am I to to know a guy like Tom to show me how to catch the fish and, and where to catch the fish. And I've had a lot of fun learning and doing this with Tom. But, but the more we've done this together, the more I've come to realize something. Tom is indeed a very good fisherman, but Tom has been much better at teaching me how to catch the fish than he has been at teaching me where to catch the fish. Tom has his favorite spots, his favorite depths, his favorite lures, but when it comes right down to it, Tom really has no idea on any given day where the fish are going to be. And in this passage, even though Peter is very experienced at this, it was his his, uh, profession, in fact, on this day, he didn't know where the fish were either because because that's just how fishing goes. But Jesus, he knew right where the fish were that day, and he takes Peter right to where they're at. And so Jesus is applying some pressure here on Peter and, and the others in the boat with him that day. Jesus is revealing to Peter that he knows certain things that no human being could really could really know. And Peter knew his uh, Bible some. He, he knew his Bible. He, he would have known that the Bible teaches that God knows everything, that God is omniscient, right? He's all-knowing. He knows every sparrow's hop. He knows the thoughts in your head. He knows the words before they come out of your mouth. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which is far simpler to calculate for some of us than for others. <laughs> But the point is not that God is up there keeping count of these things or trying to. The point is that God knows everything there is to know. He doesn't learn it. He doesn't conclude it by adding it up. He doesn't know sparrows hop because he's watching them. Everything that exists, he knows. But the Bible also teaches that God not only knows everything, God controls everything. He is omnipotent. And Jesus gives Peter a glimpse of his omnipotence here too, doesn't he? Because it's one thing to know where the fish are. It's another to have the power to gather them together in the spot where you want them. Not only does Jesus know where the fish are, he controls the fish's uh, location, doesn't he? He commands the fish to be exactly where he wants them, where those nets were, and they respond in massive numbers. And so up to this point, at this point, Peter has now seen Jesus demonstrating his authority and mastery over sickness, over disease, over demons. And here Jesus is taking him to another level by showing Peter that his knowledge and his authority and his power extend to the creation itself. Jesus is applying more pressure on on Peter here. And Peter is getting closer and closer to crossing that line. He's putting the pieces together. He's, He's very close to realizing that the things that Jesus knows are things that only God could know. 
and the things that Jesus was doing were things that only God could possibly do. And so Peter very much is coming to know Jesus as God in this moment and on this day. You'd think this would be an amazing, incredible thing, right? You'd think Peter would be high-fiving and celebrating with the other guys in the boat and with Jesus too, but that's not at all what Peter does. That's not Peter's reaction to this miraculous moment. Verse 8 tells us Peter's reaction. It says he fell over. He collapsed before Jesus, and he said, get away from me, Jesus. He said, go away. What seems like it should have been an incredibly positive moment takes a very sudden turn. He says, he says, get away from me. And so why would that be? Well, Peter, I think, is realizing in this moment that being in the presence of Jesus was the equivalent of being in the presence of God. Peter is realizing that in Jesus, he is seeing and knowing God. And if in Jesus, Peter is seeing and knowing God, this, thing, this means that Jesus as God is seeing and knowing Peter. Peter is realizing that he is being seen by God and he is being known by God. And when he realizes that, he comes undone. He's shaken. He, he says, get away from me, Lord. Go, go away. I am a sinful man, Lord, he said. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke where someone acknowledges Jesus as Lord. It's the first time in the Gospel of Luke as well that someone is brought to a recognition of their own sinfulness before Jesus and Peter clearly feels exposed and overwhelmed. He wants to get as far away from Jesus as he can. And very interestingly, this is actually a, a common response when people come into close contact with God and encounter God, when they realize they're being seen and known by God. It's usually not a positive experience from a biblical perspective. It's almost always traumatic and over, an overwhelming experience. There are many examples of this in the Bible. Let me show you a few. Job, he finds himself in the presence of the Lord in Job chapter 42, verse 6. And what is his response? He says, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. And dust and ashes were a symbol of penitence and, and deep sorrow and remorse and repentance. Isaiah finds himself in the presence of the Lord in chapter 6. Verse 5, and he says, woe is me. He says, I'm coming undone. I'm, I'm coming apart. Why? He says, because I have seen the Lord, and the Lord has seen me, and I, I am unclean. In the presence of God, all he can see about himself is his sin. In Exodus chapter 20, God was speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, and when Moses uh, came down, the people said to Moses, we'll speak to you, Moses, but but you need to speak to God. They said, don't let God speak to us or we're dead. We'll die, they said. And then there's the apostle John in Revelation chapter one, verse 17. He has a vision of the glorified Christ and he, it says he was so traumatized he fell over like a dead person. You see this also in Matthew chapter 17, verse six on the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples, including Peter, they see the glory of Christ and they fall to the ground, essentially frightened into unconsciousness by the presence and glory of God. And so this is the reality of sin, the overwhelming sense of sin and fear that you, that you see again and again when unholy people come into close contact with a holy God. And this is really where we find Peter in this moment, right? In verse 8, broken and 
overwhelmed by his sin, terrified by the implications of of being in the presence of God and being seen and, and known by him. Peter thinks he's doomed. He thinks he's done. He thinks he's coming undone, just like Isaiah says, and and as this is happening, what does Peter do? He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a a sinful man. But it's right here where things start to get really interesting with Peter and also with how Jesus handles Peter uh, in this moment. This is where Peter begins to cross the line from being known by Jesus and being terrified by Jesus to being loved by Jesus and being, being changed by Jesus. Let's talk about three ways we see Jesus changing Peter here, which are also three ways that Jesus in the gospel can and should be changing us too. The first way we've kind of already touched on, the first thing that happens when, uh, to your identity and to your self-image when the salvation of Christ really begins to, to work into your life is that you get a far worse view of yourself than you may have ever had. But it's also a far more honest and realistic view. You come to the realization and the admission of just how sinful and flawed and messed up you are. What happens when Peter encounters the real Jesus for the first time? He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm, I'm sinful. As you get close to the real Jesus, he makes you more aware, more honest, more realistic about your own sin and your own shortcomings. He makes you more aware and more realistic about your own faults and your own failures. And there, there should be a certain internal conflict about this as a result, just like we're seeing here with Peter. If you think you're beginning to get close to the real Jesus and there's no sludge that's being stirred up from the bottom of your heart, if you don't feel like Peter in this passage in one way or another, you may not be getting close to the real Jesus at all. In fact, I'd venture to say that if you're a Christian and you're not acutely aware of your own sinfulness, then something may be off, something may be wrong with your understanding of of the gospel or with your understanding of yourself. And so first, Jesus changes our relationship to ourselves and to our sin and to our awareness of it. But secondly, Jesus also changes our understanding of him as as our Savior and the salvation that he offers and what it means for us. Because think about what happens here. In the terror of this moment for Peter, Peter wants to, he wants to send Jesus away. But in the very same moment, Jesus wants to pull Peter closer, right? What from Peter's perspective is so frightening, he wants to run away, is so encouraging to Jesus that he wants to reassure Peter and say, it's okay. The very point at which a sinner becomes most aware of his or her own sin and most realizes their alienation from God as a result is the very point at which the Savior comes in and comes after you offering reconciliation. Jesus says to Peter in verse 10, it's okay. He says, don't be afraid. Jesus had already shown Peter that he embodies the divine knowledge of God and the divine power of God, and now he's showing Peter something about the divine mercy of God. He says, don't be afraid. Jesus says, Peter, I do see you completely. I know you completely, but I love you anyways, Peter. The very Jesus who was making Peter feel worse about himself than Peter had perhaps ever felt in his life is going to be the same Jesus who will affirm him more deeply than he's ever been affirmed. 
Don't be afraid. Come with me. Trust me. Follow me, Peter. Tim Keller says that when the salvation of Jesus Christ comes into your life, you see yourself as more wicked and sinful than you ever dared believe, and yet you sense that you're more valued and loved and affirmed than you ever dared hope. And so we see Jesus changing Peter's understanding of his sin as well as his understanding of his Savior. But third, we also see Jesus changing Peter's understanding of his very purpose and priority in this life. And this, I think, is the glorious moment of repentance and faith. Verse 11 says that Peter left everything behind to follow Jesus. Jesus says, from now on, you're not going to be catching fish anymore. You're going to be catching people with me and for me. Jesus would also go on to make clear to Peter and all the other disciples that he, he came on a mission, and his, his mission would become their mission, and his mission would also become our mission. And the phrase, catch people, you will be catching people, that phrase doesn't come off so well in English. It's a Greek word that means to kind of rescue people uh, for life. It means to liberate people into life. And so Jesus says, Peter, I'm on a mission. I'm going to heal the whole world of everything that's wrong with it. I'm going to liberate people in every dimension, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, sociologically, and every other way. And I want you to join me. I want you to be part of that with me as you tell others about me. And so how is that for purpose and meaning in life? And Peter, he says, yes, Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. He left everything behind to join Jesus and to follow Jesus. And from this day forward, Peter would be a changed man with not only a changed name, but a changed identity, a changed purpose, and a changed life because of Jesus. But I think without a doubt, as I studied this passage this week, that the most interesting way to see just how much Peter changed over the course of his life and throughout, throughout his life and his journey with Jesus is by comparing, it's by comparing the Peter of Luke chapter 5, this passage, with the Peter of John chapter 21. You may not know that Jesus performed this same fishing miracle, not just here, but later too in John chapter 21. This miracle today, this miraculous catch of fish is not the only time Jesus did this. He performed this very same miracle much later, in fact, after he had been crucified. You may know that after Jesus had died on the cross, Jesus also walked away from the tomb, and then he began showing up to people in various places, not, not dead anymore. And that's what happens in John chapter 21. We're told that Peter and some of the others, they were out fishing one night, and it says that night they, they struck out, they caught nothing, just like in today's passage. And when the sun started coming up, they were still on the boat and were told that the resurrected Jesus was standing on the shore. But we're told at first, Peter and the others didn't know it was him. And Jesus, from the shore, he yells out to the boat. He says, friends, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll, you'll catch some fish. And they're thinking, what the heck, who's that? But they do it anyways. And immediately we're told they were unable to haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And it's quite specific. It says there were 153 fish in it. And in verse 7 of John chapter 21, we're told that when the apostle John realized what was, uh, what was happening, he yelled out to Peter. He said, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, that's Jesus. And get this, it says Peter 
leapt off the boat. He plunged himself into the sea. Peter leaped out of the boat and took off swimming to get to Jesus as quickly as he could, to get to, get to as close as he could to Jesus as quickly as he could get there. And so much is the same between these two miracles in Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 21. Same situation, same problem, same need, same miraculous provision, but so much is different, isn't it, in Peter's response to what happens. It's quite striking. In Luke chapter 5, Peter says, go away, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. Peter probably would have jumped in and swam away from Jesus in today's passage if they weren't out in the deep waters. But in John chapter 21, Peter's kind of like a crazy man. He jumps out of the boat, it says, and swims 100 yards, 100 yards, it tells us, to get as close to Jesus as fast as he possibly could. And so what is this about? What does this teach us? One thing we have to realize is about the Peter of John chapter 21 is that the Peter of John chapter 21 witnessed Jesus being crucified and the Peter of John 21 also denied Jesus three times, didn't he? He folded under the pressure. He chickened out. He was a coward when he was asked if he was a follower of Jesus, just like Jesus predicted he would. And so at this point, Peter certainly has some serious unresolved guilt issues, to be sure. In fact, I think it's safe to say that Peter is much more aware of his own sin in John chapter 21 than he was in Luke chapter 5. Peter, after all, spent three years with Jesus. He knows all about how he's supposed to live, and he knows all the more how short he falls again and again and again. Nevertheless, this time Peter swims as fast as he can to get to Jesus in spite of all this. And why is that? What happened? What's different? What, what's different is Peter at this stage, I think, understands the gospel. He understands that Jesus dealt with his sin at the cross, all of it, past, present, and future. He understands that even though Jesus sees him and even though Jesus knows him, Jesus loves him and affirms him anyways. He understands the gospel. And that in the gospel, Jesus says, come to me, trust me. There's no reason to be afraid. I've, I'm going to deal with your sin. Peter knows he doesn't need to run away from Jesus because of his sin. He, in fact, he knows he needs to run to Jesus because of his sin because that's the only place, friends, that we have to run. Two completely different responses by Peter. One is driven by his sin and his awareness of it. One is driven by his understanding of his Savior and what he's done about his sin. And so I'd like to leave you with a question to consider today. Are you more like the Peter of Luke chapter 5 or are you more like the Peter of John chapter 21? In other words, when you feel the worst, when you've just screwed up again, when you feel like the greatest failure ever, does that sense of failure make you not want to see Jesus, not want to come to church, not want to see God's people, not want to pray? Do you think, how can I possibly do those things and go to him at a time like this? Or does it make you say, I need to get as close to Jesus as possible, as quickly as possible? Does it make you want to jump out of the boat and swim, uh, wade, run, whatever it takes to get to him quickly so that he can remind you, don't be afraid. Your sin has been dealt with. Come to me. Trust me. And so does your sin make you want to run to him or does it make you want to run away from him? Does it bring you into fellowship with him or does it seem to hinder your fellowship 
with them. This is what will tell you whether you're truly understanding the gospel and whether you're more like the Peter of Luke chapter 5 or the Peter of John chapter 21. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures and what they teach us, what, how they challenge us, how they change us. Father, would you make each one of us more like the Peter of John chapter 21? Would you help us to understand the reality of your mercy and your forgiveness in the gospel to anyone who will trust you and say, I believe you? God, would we, we be a people who say, Jesus, if you say so, I'll do it. Thank you, God, that you see us, that you know us, and that you love us anyways because of Jesus. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.